This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Recovery Radio. I'm your host, Steve Martirano. I hope you're joining us as we speak to experts in the field of behavioral health. Our idea is to foster diverse and meaningful conversations on substance abuse and mental health. You know, uh, if we were going to build a public servant from the ground up, we could do no better than our guest on the program today. Uh, Jackie James has spent literally a lifetime, certainly her adult lifetime, in the service of uh, the community that she grew up in. Armed with a, a master's degree in social work, she uh, she began in the New Haven area, uh, working with homeless youth and mentally challenged adults. The list of Jackie's accomplishments and, and career moves is extensive. Uh, she has worked as a public servant in both the uh, public and private sector, helping, as I said, the people she grew up with and were formed by uh, get better health and welfare. It's an impressive resume, and we're pleased to have Jackie James with us in her new role as Director of Public Relations for Retreat Behavioral Health in Southern Connecticut, which is, of course, in her hometown of New Haven. Jackie, thanks for joining us on Recovery Radio. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Jackie, I'm st- you, you grew up in a neighborhood. I'm, I'm getting up to speed on, on New Haven. I'm like everybody else. I know two things about New Haven, Connecticut, Yale University and the pizza places. <laughs> so <laughs> you're, you're going to fill in the blanks for us because I know it's an interesting story. I was struck uh, looking at your background that you grew up in a neighborhood called The Hill in New Haven. And, you know, The Hill... As, as a name of a neighborhood, oddly enough, shows up in a couple of places I've come across in my experience. There's a, there's a hill um, community in St. Louis that for years was legendary as, a, I guess, an Italian-American or an immigrant uh, community. It's very famous and referred to as the hill in those parts. And, of course, you're probably aware of Providence, Rhode Island, where they have their own federal hill, um, yeah. an, another enclave of, of immigrants and, and Italian restaurants. Um, tell us about your hill. So my hill um, is actually um, very close to Yale New Haven Hospital. And yes, New Haven is very well known for Yale University, Yale New Haven Hospital, and the wonderful piece of places that we have. Um, but the hill neighborhood where I live is actually, um, there's a hill north and a hill south. Um, it's divided by 91-95 corridor, um, or actually the intersection of both 91-95 corridor. Um, and we are a community um, that that is actually growing um, and, and diverse in nature. Um, initially, um, the hill was predominantly um, an Irish community um, and with a lot of um, gentrification that took place. Um, you know, African-Americans were, were living there and again, gentrification took place and the community became divided by the Route 34 corridor which is a thoroughfare um, coming off of the highway and cutting through the neighborhood leading to Route 34, which actually takes you back out of New Haven. Mm-hmm. Um, so it uh, because of the nature of the highway, um, the hill was um, at some point in time um, a neighborhood that was greatly infested with um, drugs. 
um, homeless, homelessness, poverty, uh, because people would actually come from out of town, come from the surrounding towns, um, get off the highway, um, come buy drugs, come do drugs in the community, get back on the highway because of the easy access, and, and leave the community. But leaving it um, in a state of poverty, um, in a state of disarray, um, and that is what um, the neighborhood that I grew up in. Yeah, uh, you know, that's a regrettable consequence of uh, urban development that is familiar to a lot of places. I mean, whole neighborhoods were sometimes obliterated by the need to put some thoroughfare through. Others like yours, it sounds like, were then isolated. So the impact of that road made the hill kind of an open-air market for uh, for drugs. It, it really... Yeah. It really did. It it did. My, you know, my family moved over to, into the community in the 1980s, um, and at that time, um, drug trafficking um, and drug abuse was was at an all time high. Um, and you're right; it, it was easy access um, in and out of the neighborhood. Um, and because of that, yeah, it, it brought about a lot of um, issues and concerns. Right, blight um, became a major issue. Homicides became a major issue. Drug dealing, drug trafficking, prostitution became a very major issue in the community. What's the time frame we're talking about here now from from when it is a a diverse uh, ethnic and racial community to one cut off from the, 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 the more or less the rest of mainstream New Haven? What, what time frame are we talking about when that isolation took place and resulted in these negative impacts? The, the the time frame actually started um, in the I would say uh, mid seventies early eighties, um, and we went through that era I would say until about the early two thousand late nineteen ninety early two thousand two thousand one, um, and I'll be honest, um, you know, lived there. Um, since 1980, I'm the second oldest of 12. My parents are homeowners in that community, um, went to school in that community. Upon graduating high school, um, I went away to undergrad, came back, um, and went to California for a little while to run um, a program in, in L.A. And my dad had got sick, and I came back, you know, and when I came back, nothing had changed. The crime was still high. The blight was probably even worse. The drug trafficking was worse. And, um, you know, I took it upon myself to kind of take the day off of work. And it was an election year. It was a very contentious election year. Um, the sitting mayor um, was being challenged by um, an elected official who actually was a senator at the time um, was challenging the mayor. And I took the day off of work and decided to go to the polling places and figure out, like, who was actually in charge of these laws and policies and making some sort of effective change in the community. Um, so from there, six months later, I was actually in office. I um, ran for a position called War Cheer, which, which was actually a position on the Democratic Party. Um, and from there, from the war chair seat, was actually appointed as an alderman um, and began to do the work, right? The, the work that needed to happen with the community um, and community policing and, and figuring out what was the best way to kind of 
rid the community of all these ills, right? The the tr drug trafficking, the blight, um, and did that for 15 years. And at one point in time, I actually had the lowest crime rate um, in the city of New Haven. Well, that's an interesting due to the work that we did. Yeah, that's an interesting pivot because your uh, educational background was in social work. And you were doing that both on the West Coast and then when you got back home. Uh, and then um, you, 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 know, you pivot towards politics. Did you ever – had you at any point prior to that decided that you know, office holding was the best way to solve the problem? Or did the facts on the ground lead you in that direction? You know, the facts on the ground led me that way. You know, I grew up in a family that was not – um, a part of politics at all. You know, actually, my family, you know, unfortunately did not even engage in voting until I got elected. And I was in my early 20s at that time. So, um, and my parents had lived there probably for about 15 years at that time and never had even been get, been engaged by the political process um, that was already there. Um, so that was another reason why I decided to run. I just felt like a lot of folks in my community were actually being cut out of the political process and wasn't allowed to have a voice in that process and didn't understand their own power within that process that, that political apathy or in, or indifference uh, or lack of activity by your by your parents uh must have came come out of a of a sense that nobody cared and there wasn't much they could do about it anyway is that pretty much what the the mood was and you decided to run for office it was, and it, it was the mood, um, I think, throughout the Hill neighborhood, throughout that community. Um, there was a, a very large sense of voter apathy. Um, and again, it was just due to the political process not actually engaging um, the residents of the community. Is that a case of, uh, I may be oversimplifying this, but as a social worker, you were day to day dealing with the symptoms of a problem. A big problem, a multifaceted problem. And as a politician, you could focus your attention on not so much the effects of the problem, but the actual problem. Is that how that works? That that is how it worked for me. You know, I was um, an, a social worker for the department, State of Connecticut Department of Children and Family Services, um, and I was actually a forensic investigator. So I would go in um, and investigate issues dealing with abuse or neglect to children, right? So, and that was actually in the city where I live, and quite often in the community where I live. Um, so I saw it firsthand. I dealt with it firsthand. Um, I knew what some of the social ills um, and the divergent needs of my community were because um, I lived it. I experienced it through the lens of others, right? Um, so that was the social work in me. And I, I, I for me, it's, you know, I needed to figure out how do we change this? What are the ways that we can change it and fix it? And I, again, I found the best way, the best vehicle to do that was by getting involved in politics. We're going to find out whether your uh, sense that that was the best way to get to the root of these problems uh, bore fruit. I'm sure it, I'm sure it did because I've looked, I've looked at your resume here. You've had some, some great successes in that, in that area. But we're going to, you know, we want to really get into the uh, into the weeds on how that process works. Jackie James is our guest. She's telling us about the impact growing up in a specific community has led her uh, to her career in public service now as director of public relations for Retreat's new facility in New Haven. And when we come back with Jackie, um, we'll get a little deeper into how 
she she found a path to help, and maybe it can be a uh, a lesson for people listening to us today. Because everybody looks at problems and goes, "Gee, what can I do?" Well, our guest uh, has been doing a lot of stuff for a lot of years. We'll be back with more of our guest on Recovery Radio. Don't go away. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. Steve Martorano with you. We're talking to Jackie James. Jackie is the newly installed director of public relations for Retreats Facility in New Haven, Connecticut. Uh, we, we were up there uh, a month or so ago for the grand opening of it, and I told Jackie this in our uh, pre-interview conversations that during the uh, the dinner with the, the dignitaries and uh, the people from Retreat who were there, I stopped counting the number of times they mentioned Jackie James's name as instrumental in um, – in, in helping retreat, uh, get the facility going uh, up there. So uh, I'm, I'm real pleased to have her here. She really knows the situation. And it's in microcosm, it's New Haven, but it's really a story of lots of places in America. Uh, so Jackie, uh, tell us about, you're now, you know, your, your job is to tell the story of what retreat behavioral health is doing up there. Uh, I guess one of the most important things that someone like you has got to start doing from the beginning is to build bridges and, you know, make strong alliances w- with the community. Take take us through a little of that process. Tell us about the business reaction, the political reaction, uh, law enforcement reaction. What was that like? So, you know, the, the good part is I had relationships. I had built relationships through my political affiliations. And then, you know, it, I was born and raised here, right, educated in this city. Um, so, you know, I have a lot of great relationships um, with the business community and with um, the police department and the school system and the hospital. And through my political position, I was able to establish these relationships because, you know, in order to really make some level of effective change in, in a community like Sahil, you have to have partnerships. You have to be able to do it with partnerships. Um, and clear linear partnerships, that kind of will lead to something at the end of a conversation, right? It's about change. How do you effectively change a situation or effectively change somebody's life, right? You can easily say stop doing drugs, but at the end of the day, what tools are you giving them um, that will lead to them understanding why they should stop doing um, drugs, abusing substances. So I think that's what it was for me. That That's what worked for me, um, you know, as an elected official one and two as um, now the director of public relations for the retreat. So where do you begin with that process? Is, is it when you talk about the problems that existed in New Haven and the Hill in particular um, in the past, things like homelessness, mental illness, um, uh, substance abuse issues were dealt with if dealt with at all as a sort of law enforcement problem, you must, you must have um, a lot of work and connections done with law enforcement with regard to, to the impact on those things, right? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, the part of the, the start for me was sitting down with the community and having a conversation about what they felt their needs were. You know, it wasn't a top-down process. It really was a bottom-up process. Um, and hearing from the people that were clearly impacted and affected um, by um, all these negative woes in, in their community, right? And then creating those partnerships, talking to the police department, figuring out what they offer, right? What worked for the Hill community at that time was community police. 
policing. What did that look like? It looked like residents and, and, and community stakeholders and the police department getting in the room and talking about what these issues were, um, what some of the impacts and the concerns were, and, and how do we collectively um, address those issues, you know? And there was a point in time, you know, I literally knocked on, um, went from door to door and business to business and said, you know, one of the ways we can change um, drug dealing in our community, and that meant like stopping people from literally standing on the corners um, or standing in front of our homes was putting up no trespassing signs, right? So you can put the sign up, but at the end of the day, you need to have a, a relationship with the police department to actually enforce that. And that's one of the ways we changed it, right? We put a no trespassing sign up, up on our homes and our businesses. You can't stand there. You can't stand here and sell drugs. We weren't going to allow it as a community. It, it that's what we did. Yeah, it, so it sounds like a um, an obvious uh, situation that you might you might do, but the impact of it must be profound because because there, I guess there comes a point in a community like uh, the Hill. Certainly, we've seen it in the. Philadelphia area in a neighborhood called Kensington, where the kinds of things you described, the homelessness, the, the uh, drug abuse, the um, open air market, took on an air of normalcy. It's sort of like, well, this is what goes on here. And that leads to hopelessness. So there was an impact when you said, no, you can't do that here. Well, let me ask you, though, with regard, because you have a story to tell as the director of public relations, when a facility like Retreat, which, which says it's there to improve behavioral health conditions. Where do you begin telling that story? What do you tell them a situ a place like Re Retreat is all about? Um, you, so, you know, for me, I've been with Retreat, you know, and I'll say as a partner, right? Um, Retreat came to New Haven seven years ago um, looking for space. And at that time, I served as the Deputy Director of Economic Development for the City of New Haven um, and sat down with them and and heard their story, right, and the story about the Lancaster facility and the desire to expand and treat the treat addiction. And it for me, it made a lot of sense, um, one, because of the neighborhood that I live in, but also, you know, having um, folks in my family that were also addicted to substances. Um, so sitting down with them and understanding their treatment milieu and understanding um, and, and clearly understanding the need for a type of facility like this in New Haven just made it was just common sense. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that's what worked. And we, we saw the need. Um, you know, we see that um, the opioid epidemic in our community has grown drastically over years. Um, so the need for something like retreat in the Hill neighborhood in the city of New Haven just made obvious sense, honestly. Jackie it was ja a no-brainer. Yeah, Jackie James is director of public relations for Retreat in Southern Connecticut, and she's our guest. Recovery Radio, even more with Jackie straight ahead. Don't go away. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. We're uh, speaking with the Director of uh, Public Affairs at Retreat's new facility in uh, New Haven, Connecticut. Jackie James is with us uh, talking about her, uh, her long career as a public servant and how she's applying what she's learned in that area, both politically and in the private sector, to her new job as public relations to tell the story of behavioral health and the needs in that community. We'll get back to her in a second. I want to remind you, as I do uh, every time we're together, and that is that, uh, you know, re Retreat underwrites the program, but this is no way intended to be an infomercial. They're not here 
to tell uh, have me tell you they're the only place you can get help. But they're, they are a world-class organization. You can check them out for yourself. They've ho- helped lots and lots of people. The program, though, is intended to educate and inform people about the needs that exist, and they are, they are manifest in the entire area of behavioral health. That includes substance abuse uh, treatment for sure, but, but now covers a broad range of services that are referred to as behavioral health. They are mental health issues. In any event, I'm going to give you their phone number. And if there are any questions you have about anything regarding um, substance abuse and treatment and how to get it and behavioral health issues as well, you can call Retreat. Somebody's there. They'll give you really, really good answers. The phone number is 855-859-8810. As I said, 24-7, somebody's there. 855-859-8810. Jackie James joins us uh, from New Haven to talk about her work in public relations for retreat and and her uh, you know uh, expertise in the area of what neighborhoods like New Haven, cities like New Haven, uh, need desperately. Jack- Jackie, one of the things I know you do as a used to do as a politician and now certainly do in terms of, uh, you know, the public message of a place like retreat is to prioritize some of the problems that need to be addressed in that community. Could you do that for us? I mean, we've talked briefly about some of the more obvious ones. When you sat down as both a politician and now as a director of public relations, did, did you do that? Did you list, well, these are the sort of things we need to address immediately? Yeah, you know, and I think like many urban communities around the United States of America, um, the opioid epidemic is just rampant. So for for me, that is a priority, figuring out how do we address it and address it in the sense of making sure that there's adequate um, services um, and providers like retreat behavior health. But I also think homelessness is an issue and unemployment. The unemployment rate is still an issue in urban communities. Um, and, you know, our goal is how do we really have a conversation about addressing some of these issues um, within the city of New Haven? Again, partnering with our stakeholders and understanding who they are and letting them understand who we are also. Let's talk about homelessness for a, a long time. Well, before we do that, let's back up to the substance abuse thing. You mentioned that you're, you, the neighborhood you grew up in, the Hill, this problem has been around long before the public uh, began noticing it when when the opioid crisis finally spilled over and caught the attention yeah. of mainstream media, things be- began to change. Um, how widespread is the problem of substance abuse in the Southern Connecticut area? I think it's very widespread. Um, you know, in the past few uh, weeks or so, we've had a lot of overdoses and the face of those overdose and the face of the opioid user is actually getting younger, right? So when I was growing up, you know, it was someone, um, you know, maybe late 20s, mid 30s, 40s. Now you're seeing, you know, I've seen a 12-year-old and an 18-year-old um, opioid abuser. So for us, you know, the, the demographics is changing. Um, so those that that's what we're looking at. How do we deal with some of this, right, with high school students and, and address some of these issues and partner with um, the, the educational system in addressing these issues? So we've seen, again, a change, um, the face of, of the opioid epidemic um, and substance abuse, again. Yeah, they're, the, they're younger. The, 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 that, that's an interesting point. I, I want to ask you what, what work... 
uh, you will do with a retreat to get into the educational arena to let them know, you know, what's going on here. Now, I am also struck by how young or how early on uh, substance abusers get to opioids and heroin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the old notion of a gateway drug is pretty discredited now. Uh, exactly. It, just, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. But nevertheless, and, and you've seen this and I've seen this, the, the idea that a high school kid would be introduced to substance abuse at that level is terrifying. That message has got to be reinforced again and not in the old just don't do it uh, what was that dare program uh, but but explaining to educational uh, groups and kids you know what the dangers are it, uh, is that part of what a public relations director would do is get that message into schools it is part of my job is to get that into school, into schools around the and also around the community. Um, one of the things that we are doing um, is actually we will be hosting a conference and workshops in West Palm Beach, Florida, um, March fifth um, of this year, um, and partnering with the school system down there to talk about vaping and substance abuse within their school system, right? Um, and again, this is about educating, right? Um, this is about educating and helping parents and families figure out access to treatment. Um, so, right, their program, wonderful program, but I think we're at um, a pivotal moment in this where we need to ensure that parents are being educated about the substance use, substance abuse um, within their home, within the school, and the overall impact it has on their child. The other problem I wonder about and wonder whether you're concerned as well is that the opioid uh, epidemic, and that's exactly the right word, has now been so front and center uh, in the in the uh, in our society. I sometimes wonder whether people think it has peaked or it's not a problem. Uh, is that what you're? You, do you see people who have that attitude about it? I, you know, I really don't. I think I think people are clear that it's a problem and people are clear it's a problem because I'm sure everyone we know has been affected in some form of fashion, whether it's a relative or a friend or a friend of a friend. We all know someone that has been impacted by the opioid epidemic. Um, I think now the conversation is what do we do? How do we do it? What does partnerships look like? Who are the stakeholders? How do we address the issue? How do we educate our parents? How do we educate our children, right? And understanding our children will one day be adults, right? How do we nip this in the bud? How do we get in front of it? Are we able to get in front of it? So um, I, I think people understand it's peaking. It's growing. Yeah, let's talk about homelessness, which you brought up uh, just a, a moment ago. H- homelessness is not uh, is not merely uh, a problem of people with nowhere to live. The, the, this it's a much more complicated problem. One of the central factors in it is uh, mental health issues. Correct? Absolutely. What is the situation in, in New Haven? What, what, what is the homeless situation as critical as it is in many other 
It, it is. The homeless situation in New Haven is very critical. And again, it's a situation um, where we see the face of a homeless person. They're much younger now, um, right? So we're seeing 16, 17, 18-year-old children, adolescents, homeless, right? And and for us, sleeping on your friend's couch and going from couch to couch to couch, you're declared, we, we declare you and deem you homeless, right? Because you don't have a permanent living situation Mm -hmm. or permanent resident. But we also see that it's not just coupled coupled with mental health. It's also coupled with sometimes substance abuse issues. So Uh, we are seeing a lot more of that. Yeah. uh, The homeless situation, the homeless uh, people who need behavioral health and substance abuse treatment are often the hardest to reach. Um, They they don't generally look for help. You have to go out and identify them and see if you can get them in. Who do you partner with in a community, or who does anyone partner with in a community to get that help to the homeless? So for us, we have um, various partners in the city of New Haven. We have um, the city of New Haven Health Department. We have the city of New Haven Livable City of Initiatives. Um, we have the New Haven Police Department, the Fire Department. You know, we have homeless camps here, and we have groups and organizations that actually go out into the homeless camps um, and have conversation and do education um, with the residents of the city of New Haven that are residing in these camps. And, you know, and, and I will say, um, quite often, some of them are not even residents of New Haven. They've come from surrounding towns and um, come here to be a part of the homeless camp or the situation here. Um, so we do. We, we build partnerships to address this issue, understanding it, understanding it in its totality that we cannot do this by ourselves. No, it's all hands on deck. That it's we all, need partners. All hands on it's deck. It's all hands on deck. Yeah, all hands yeah. on deck. Absolutely. It's a remarkable uh, thing to talk about homeless camps in the, the wealthiest nation on earth, obviously, but one that where the economy is booming. Uh, it, it's uh, it is a uh, it is a national disgrace. Let me, before we take the break for the final segment here, now you mentioned vaping and getting the message into schools about vaping. What 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 is the position of the behavioral health field with regard to vaping? So we are, you know, our, our position with regards to substances, period, is we believe in abstinence. We understand relapse is a part of recovery, um, but for us, we're, we're completely about abstaining. But we also understand that that takes treatment, that takes support, that takes education, right, understanding um, the negative impact, um, health impact, negative health impact that it has on a person. So um, we, our position is, you know, going out here and kind of and educating families, you know, and educating school systems and educating our youth about how this can really impact you as, as a youth and someone that will hopefully eventually be a, an adult, right? Because mm-hmm. there's long-term effects of vaping. Yeah, and we're just, we're just now getting our head around the fact that this is not a, a benign alternative to smoking, but it has the potential to be something... Uh, much worse. Even that's, worse. That's a very important Absolutely. message. Jackie James, our guest. Uh, Jackie is Director of Public Relations for Retreat New Haven, Connecticut. We have more with her. Stay with us. This is Recovery Radio. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. Uh, we could have uh, a, a much longer session with our guest, uh, Jackie James, because uh, she, she's been in the trenches uh, on, on with regard to what communities in uh, distress need, both you know, from a civic and certainly from a behavioral health aspect. And um, as I said at the beginning, she has dedicated her life to helping 
the community she grew up in, and as I mentioned, was formed by. That's the Hill in New Haven. In her role of uh, public relations director for retreat up there, she, that work is continuing. Uh, Jackie, in, in this segment, um, I don't mean to, I don't mean to describe you as the expert on how somebody gets involved in helping their community, but you, you know, you, I could because because you are. Um, so somebody sitting out there that in a neighborhood or a community that has these problems, whether it's homelessness or or mental health issues or substance abuse issues more likely, and they're going, gee, I wish I could do something. Can you give us a, a kind of uh, roadmap on how, how do people get involved? Where do they go? What's the first move? Yeah, I, I, you know, there's so many ways and that you can get involved and there's so many levels to this, right? I would encourage people to actually contact their city hall and see what boards and commissions are available for them to sit on um, so they can do that. I think for the political process, there are town committees. So generally, there's a Democratic town committee and a Republican town committee. Um, so you have war chair seats, um, which are very powerful seats because your war chairs actually nominate all of your elected officials up to the president. Um, so you can actually do that, but also um, joining some community development corporations um, and creating, you know, a neighborhood block watch, right? Something as simple as that. Um, and it's not even simple. I don't, I don't want to make, I don't want to simplify it. Um, but, you know, talking to your neighbors, um, talking to some of the businesses and just begin meeting whether, you know, I used to host meetings in my parents' yard and invite people over and we would have community conversations about what is actually going on in our community, what changes what we like to see in our community. So there's various ways that you can actually go about um, working towards creating a change in your community and ensuring that you have a voice in the process. I think that's what, what's key, making sure that you have a voice and that your voice is heard. Well, having a voice is uh, critical. And talking, of course, uh, is the, the, the action that, that has to be undertaking. Among the things I know that retreat has always been in the forefront of and now I'm sure it falls into your purview, is um, destigmatizing these problems of behavioral health and, uh, you know, eliminating some of the myths around all of this. That's an important part of the job, isn't it? It is. It's a very important job. You know, you know, one of the things we need to understand is that um, people are People in recovery look like me and you. People in recovery look like doctors and lawyers and judges and nurses and teachers and moms and dads and brothers and sisters and grandparents, right? So we have to remove the stigma in order to um, effectively um, have an impact on the opioid epidemic and, and have an effective conversation about treatment and where do we go from here with this epidemic. We have to be realistic about what that looks like and who the people are that are in recovery or being affected or or actually abusing substances. The same also can be said of the stigma and silence that surrounds mental health. People are not uh, forthcoming in recognizing that it exists and it's close, you know, to their own family. We need to raise awareness about that as well. 
We absolutely do. We absolutely do. Um, you know, unaddressed mental health needs can lead to so many other things, and not just substance abuse issues, right? But quite often, you know, it leads to depression, it leads to suicide. Um, so we have to remove that stigma, right? We have to uh, ensure that, you know, we help folks that are dealing with mental health issues and substance abuse issues still have um, a very good quality of life. And and what does that look like, right? That That can look like the role that we play in this, um, be a part of their treatment process, you know, encourage them to get treatment, um, not, you know, make them feel like they're um, any less than who they are and what they are. Um, But again, understanding the need um, and ensuring that they get involved in treatment and and supporting that process. Right. Become, as, as the cliche goes, part of the solution. And not part of the not problem. Not the problem, yeah. right. So exactly. what, what now, uh, as, you, as you look forward, uh, how, how has the community reacted to retreat behavioral health in, in New Haven? So the community is very excited about retreat behavioral health. Again, um, we are a healthcare facility that's here in New Haven to actually service the people in this community. Um, we and, and and the greater New Haven. Um, we look forward to the partnerships that we will be developing with the New Haven school system, the New Haven Police Department, the City of New Haven, and all the surrounding towns. Again, we are looking forward to um, working with the Board of Ed in West Palm Beach, Florida, and actually looking at how do we create a national model um, around having community conversations and discussing treatments and solutions for our adolescents. So we're here if folks want to reach out to Retreat Behavioral Health to start that conversation and dialogue in their community. No matter where they are in the United States of America, we are here. That is my job and that we will continue to support the process of um, treatment and recovery. Jackie James, Director of Retreat Behavioral Health, Southern Connecticut in New Haven. Thank you so much for uh, joining us. Good luck in the new job. Uh, you're obviously the right person in the right place at the right job. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you. And thank you all for I joining look us. To working with you. Okay. <laughs> thank you uh, all for joining us on Recovery Radio. Again, report uh, uh, brought to you by Retreat Behavioral Health. Again, the phone number, questions and comments, any help you may need with regard to these issues. 855-859-8818. That's 855-859-8818. See you next time on Recovery Radio. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management.